So like I said, we're closing out our series on the resurrection, just the desire that, hey, this is such a big historic thing that has happened in this world that the God of the universe put on human flesh, that he died, he rose again on the third day and he accomplished salvation for us. This is something, all of what we believe hangs on the reality that Jesus is Alive, And if that's the case, then we wanted to spend some more time just wrestling through the implications of his resurrection for us. And we're ending on a passage that's honestly why we kind of camped out in 1 Corinthians 15 for the last five weeks, all right? We love this passage, all right? We love this because it speaks about victory and triumph. Here's what verse 57 says, just so we can get our pump, uh, the, our hearts pumping a little bit. Here's what it says. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Gosh, we love that, don't we? We love that, right? Like, so just our whole, like, if you're just thinking about us as like in our country and who we are as these people that have grown up here in this land, like we, our whole entire mantra of our country was built on this idea of victory and triumph, right? We overcame the man. In the American Revolution. You know what I'm talking about? Like we overcame the big bad enemy Britain, right? And then what happened in World War II? We won, right? We triumphed. Thank you, world. You're welcome. And we did everything for you. I mean, if you even think about like our own companies in this, in the United States, some of our most beloved companies, they have named their company after this idea of victory. It's what Nike is for crying out loud. It's the Greek goddess that literally means victory. So in some sense, this speaks to our own pride, right? Like we love this idea of victory and triumph. It's like, yeah, that's who we are as people. But it does even more, all right? It does even more for that. It speaks, it doesn't just minister to our pride, but it also speaks to our hopes, right? This idea of the victory and the triumph of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it speaks to our souls. I mean, it it speaks to our fears. It speaks to our longings for purpose and meaning in this life. It does all these things, and that's what Paul's wrestling through in this particular passage as we close out 1 Corinthians 15, all right? He does two things here. He tells us two things about this victory of the resurrection for us. Here's what it does for us. First, it tells us that we no longer have to fear death. You no longer have to fear death. Say that out loud with me, all right? Because I don't feel like you're quite resonating with this. Say this with me. I no longer have to fear death. It's true. And then the second thing that Paul does here is he tells us that this life truly matters. Say that with me. This life truly matters. We're off. That's okay. We, we tried. We tried. We tried. We'll get better at it. We'll get better at it. All right. So Paul does this. Uh, he does the first one. We don't have to fear death. That's where a, a much of the passage is really landing on when he quotes some other passages throughout the scriptures. He's talking about this idea that we no longer need to fear death. And then the very last verse is where Paul's kind of bringing it home. He's speaking to how we apply all the reality of the resurrection to our life. And essentially he's telling us, hey, this life truly matters. So I just want to look at it in those two different waves, all right? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read through verses 54 through 57, and I want to just tease out 
how, what Paul is doing here to help us see that we no longer have to fear death. And then we'll move on to that last verse. All right. So before I dive into verses 54 through 57, let me just speak to this reality that we all do struggle with the fear of death, right? We all do. We all do. Here's what a French author says. I don't know how to pronounce his name. So if you want, like, I can come and show it to you. Here's what he says. There are two things a person can't look at, the sun and death. The sun and death. Death terrifies us. Terrifies us. Maybe more now than ever before and maybe like the last two, three hundred years because we dealt with this thing called a global pandemic, right? In our country alone, over a million people died. It was blasted on TV every moment for two to three years, right? We had a mass mandate here and then in St. Louis didn't drop until March of 2022. That feels like a long time ago, but really in the, like the drop of a bucket, not very far like behind us than what we kind of think or imagine, right? So we have this global pandemic that just strikes this deep fear of death, maybe more so than ever before, but we even avoid the topic of death and even the way that we talk, right? Whenever we have someone close to us that's passed away, what do we say? They're just no longer with us, right? We do all these substitutes for even saying that this person has died or passed away. We avoid the topic in its, in its totality. But in light of the resurrection of Jesus, the Bible does something completely opposite, the Bible doesn't avoid the topic of death. What you actually see the Bible do is it trash talks death, right? You see that in verses 54 through 57. So here's what it says, all right? When the, this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Essentially, all that Paul has done in the, the previous verses is that he's talked about what we did a couple of weeks ago, that we need a resurrected body. Imperfection cannot dwell with perfection. And so even if Jesus were to come back while we are still alive, we would still need resurrected bodies because we cannot dwell with what is holy. What is holy will consume us. And essentially, that's what Paul is saying here at the very beginning of verse 54. The idea of when this is going to happen is when Jesus comes back. He says, at the sound of the trumpet, we will be transformed. We will be changed. We will be given our resurrected bodies. The mystery of this is that it's not a gradual process, but it happens instantaneously. That's exactly what Paul is saying in the verses leading up to this. And then we get this trash talk of death. So here's what it says. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. So essentially it's saying, why fear death? Jesus is alive. Like, why do we even need to fear death? Why do we need to avoid the topic of death? Why do we have to come up with these other ideas for how we explain away death? We don't have to fear death because Jesus is alive. And so here's the, I love the imagery that is used in the Bible when it talks about this victory of the resurrection of Jesus over death. It says that death is swallowed up. I love this. All right. So one of the neighborhoods that my family used to live in, we used to have junk day. And so what essentially is happening here is that the Bible is saying that when Jesus comes back, 
and the resurrection happens, death is swallowed up like junk day. So here's what would happen on junk day. So people would take all the junk from their house, the things that couldn't fit into their dumpster. So you had couches, you would have TVs, you would have mattresses, you would have, you would have patio tables, and you take it out to the curb. And what would happen is you'd have this massive truck that would come from house to house, and it had this claw. Think Toy Story, right? So it has this claw that would come out of the truck, and it would grab this trash. It would squeeze it, and it would squeeze the life out of it, and then it would swallow it up into the truck. And then there's this thing that would just come and smash it all together, so it would just be compacted, and it would all get put into a big clump. And that's exactly what's happening at the return of Christ here, all right? Death, the death of death is fully realized when Jesus comes back. We will put on the resurrected bodies. Our broken bodies will be fully healed. The idea here is like it's kind of you're changing clothes. You take off all the terrible D's that we have in this world. You take off disease. You take off disorders. You take off disabilities. You take off deformities. And after you take all of that off, you then put on the resurrected body, which is this indestructible, glorious, and immortal body that can dwell with God physically for all eternity. That's what happens. All right. And so as this is happening, the claw of victory will snatch up anything that's related to death and decay in this world. It'll crush the life out of it. It will swallow it up and then we'll never see it again. All right. So one pastor kind of put it like this. When we're in heaven with Jesus, after we put on the resurrected bodies, we'll kind of have conversations of like, what was, what was that C word that we used to deal with? That uh, cancer. That, what was that like? I, we, don't, we don't have to deal with that anymore. The claw of the victory of the resurrection of Jesus comes into this world and it snatches up the medicine cabinets that we have in our houses. It snatches up the pacemakers that are in this world. It snatches up all the wheelchairs, the body scanners, the deathbeds, the hospitals, because they don't have a right in this new kingdom of God. It snatches all of it up, and this resurrection victory is fully realized in this world. Look, our fear of death is finally put away. Now, Sounds a little bit too good to be true, right? So what happens whenever you get something that's really nice in this world? Like, you keep receipts, right? You keep receipts. Like, hey, no, 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 I, I truly do. I, I, I have this. Like, it's, it's mine, I promise. I got the receipt to prove that it's mine. You're walking out of Sam's. What do you have to do? You have to show them the receipt. I'm not stealing this stuff. Look, it's here. It's in my card. It's all been, all been paid for. Well, look, what is our receipt? It's the resurrection of Jesus, that he's alive. We see this in verse 56 is what Paul puts for us. He says this, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what Paul is saying, all right? The sole reason that we must put up with death's, death's existence is because of sin. Sin is the thing of death. All right, sin injected the poison of death and decay into this world whenever it bit us. When we gave in, we believed the lies of Satan, we sinned against God, we experienced this poison of death and decay that's come into this world. Romans 6, 23 puts it like this, the wages of sin is death. Sin is the fang of death. 
the power of this sin is the law, all right? The law of God shows us how strong the grip of sin is on us. So Paul wrestles with this in the book of Romans, right? That just how, how deep sin runs inside of us. Even when we want to do good, sin is right there with us because it's just so deep down into the fibers of our being. Here's what verse 19 says. For I do not know, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. So even when we want to do the things that we know are right and good, we have, we, we, our sin runs so deep inside of us that we practice the things that we don't even want to do, right? So the Ten Commandments, they seem so simple, but they, if you like try to actually practice them, you can see how it's impossible for us because of how deep sin runs inside of us for us to keep them. Just think about one of them, all right? Just try not to covet. You ever tried to do that? Try not to covet? Like you go over to a friend's house and man, their house is just insane, right? Like bigger than yours. It's all nice and new. They have all these things that you would love to have in your house. And so you try to leave the place and you're just like, okay, just be happy for them, right? Just be happy for them. That's all I want to think about. Just be happy for them. And then you leave and it's like, ah, why is my house falling apart? Why is my house so small? Like, why is everything breaking? Why don't I have the big, luxurious walk-in closet? Why don't I have the master suite that these people have? Why doesn't my backyard have more space and room like what theirs has? And so what, you, what do you try to do to like make yourself feel better? You try to call up your friend that has a smaller house than you. It's like, I just want to go over to my friend that has a smaller house so I can feel better about myself. Like, that's what happens inside of us. Like, we want, even when we want to do what we know is right and good, sin runs so deep inside of us that it is always there waiting for us. Now, here's the good news about Jesus because he's alive. And because he's alive, here's what this means. He's dealt with both the power and the sting of death for us in his life, death, and resurrection. In his life, Jesus lived perfectly. He kept the law perfectly. Did not sin once. In his death, Jesus fully bore the sting of death, right? And Jesus on the cross, he takes the full sting of death for us, the wages and judgment that we deserved, all the wrath that God had stored up for sin, Jesus bore it for us on the cross. And look, in his resurrection, Jesus is the receipt of the victory over death. It's secure because he's alive and he's seated at the right hand of God where nobody can pluck him out, nobody can put him back into the tomb. And so look, Jesus is alive. He's our receipt. He's alive, so we don't have to fear death. So look, look, we are still human, right? We still struggle with sin in this flesh, even though the future has already come into the present because Jesus enacted this kingdom of God. We, we experience this spiritual resurrection internally, but we still wrestle with sin, don't we? We still wrestle with sin. And so here's what that means, that the, the, the fear of death still rears its head in this life, doesn't it? We still wrestle with the fear of death. And so look, whenever the ugly head of fear of death rears its head, what do you do? You pull out your receipts. 
You pull out your receipts and you look at the scriptures. You look at 1 Corinthians 15 and you be reminded that Jesus is alive, that he bore the sting of death on the cross and then he opened the door of death on Easter Sunday fully for us. And look, here's what he's doing in this world from the moment that he rose from the grave and even till this very time, until Jesus comes back, here's what he's doing. He's passing out his receipt saying, what, you, what I have done, I will take all of your sin, I will take all of your wrongdoing, past, present, and future. I took all of that upon myself on the cross, it's paid in full, and I'm giving you my receipt. You get to have this receipt that says paid in full. And so the door of that tomb is still open to new life. And so Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the proclamation of the gospel here in this present age, he is still ushering people from death to new life. He's giving them the receipt. He's walking them through that open door in the tomb. We went into the tomb with Adam because we sinned with Adam. But when Jesus resurrected from the grave, when he woke up on that Easter Sunday, he walked out of the tomb of death and now he's bringing us with him. So whenever death rears its ugly head, when fear rears its ugly head in your life, what do you do? You pull out the receipts. You look at 1 Corinthians 15, you look at the, uh, Romans chapter 8, you pull out these beautiful reminders of the truth that Jesus is alive. I love what George Herbert, he kind of compacts all this and puts it together so nicely for us. Here's his image of what Jesus has done for us. Death used to be an executioner, but because of the gospel, Jesus has made death just a gardener. All death can do is plant me in his love and make me come up in ways I've never been before. Oh my gosh, that's good, right? Look, you don't have to fear death. Why? Because the victory of the resurrection, Jesus is alive. Now, in light of this victory, you might expect Paul to end a little bit differently than maybe how he he does in this passage, right? So um, imagine you're standing before Paul, and uh, this is maybe the way that I would devise that the conversation would go. Maybe you would be in the same shoes with me. Paul's looking at us in light of the victory of the resurrection. He's like, the hope you have in Jesus is just incredible. Oh my gosh, the hope that you have in, in Jesus is just absolutely incredible. You have such a bright future ahead of you. The kingdom of God is going to come. Jesus is going to bring heaven to earth. All things are going to be made new. So kick back and relax, right? Just take it easy. Like put your feet up, kick back and relax. But that's not how verse 58 goes, right? That's not how it goes. Here's what it says. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast be immovable, be always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So here's what Paul's doing here. Paul is trying to hit on two things. One, he's trying to hit on the commitment to the belief that he has wrestled with here. So if you remember back to the beginning of the chapter, those that Paul is writing to, they are wrestling with the idea that the resurrection isn't really true, that Jesus didn't raise from the grave. It was just a spiritual resurrection, not a bodily resurrection. And Paul makes this point that if Jesus isn't alive, then your faith is in vain. 
And so what he's saying here when he says be steadfast and be immovable, he's saying, hey, remain committed to the belief that the resurrection is true. You have no hope elsewhere. Remain committed to this belief that the bodily resurrection of Jesus happened because it is your hope. You have nowhere else to go. But then he goes and he says, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Here, look, I think this is so much more helpful than Paul just telling us to kick back and relax. All right. Here's why. One, it speaks to our apathy. All right. Here's what we can do with grace. Here's some, here's some of the ways that like, we can take it, like that we have a license with grace. What we can do is we can say this, well, God will just forgive me anyway. God will just forgive me anyway. Like, I can give into this sin because I know that God is full of grace, and so he's just going to forgive me. And so I'm just going to give in, and it, it's all going to be okay. It's all going to work out. But that's not what Paul tells and instructs in light of the resurrection in verse 34 here. He says, come to your senses and stop sinning. Essentially what he's saying is like God saved you from a life of settling for sin so that you can live a different kind of life where you don't settle for it, but you actually live out of the hope of it. That you actually have this opportunity to turn down and say no to sin and walk in relationship with Jesus here in this life. Not living into the license of sin, but you actually have been, the, a new way of life has been made available to you here and now. But it also speaks to our desire for purpose, right? So look, if it's just kick back and relax, then what's the purpose of really trying in this life, Right? Like some of us are getting into our careers right now. And some of us, it's like we have this deep down desire that we want our life to matter, right? Like the, it's the reason that some of us chose the vocation that we stepped into. It's like, I want my life. I want to give my life away to actually making a difference in this world. And then for those of us that are maybe towards the end of our life, as we look back, the question that some of us wrestle with is like, did I really do it? Right? Like, did what I did in this life actually make a difference? And what Paul is saying to us through this command, this application of the resurrection, what he is essentially saying is your life, what you do in this life, it actually does matter because the resurrection is real. That Jesus truly is alive. It has enacted this kingdom of God here and now to where what you do matters and what it what you do and you sow in this life will actually be reaped in the life to come. So here's what Paul is saying. Like, look, excel in the work of the Lord because that work of the Lord will not be done in vain. The question here is like, well, what's that work then? Like, what do I devote my life to? What does that look like? How do I do this? Well, everything Paul that has addressed up to this point is what Paul is speaking about when he talks about this work of the Lord. So if you take the whole, like we're in chapter 15, I'm gonna try not to preach all 14 chapters before this, right? But here's essentially what this church is wrestling with. They're a mess. Oh my gosh, they're a mess, all right? So here's some of the things. They're dealing with immorality in the church, all right? There's a son and a stepmom that have an inappropriate relationship going on, and the church is just embracing them under the umbrella of grace. Like, there's grace here, and so we're not going to intervene. There's lawsuits that are happening. In this church of like 60 people, there's lawsuits. They're suing one another. And so the watching world is like, what in the world is going on in this church? 
Then they're loose with their bodies. They're giving in to pleasure. There's marriages that are all jacked up. Paul works through the church's responsibility with widows and orphans. You have abuse of Christian freedom that's happening when it comes to eating food that were sacrificed to other idols and then even the way that they were partaking in drink. Then he has to address how they're taking the Lord's Supper. People are showing up early. The rich were showing up early because they didn't have to work as late hours as those that are the blue collar in the church. And so they're showing up and they're drinking all the wine and they're eating all the food. And there's this disease and outbreak that's happening because they're abusing the Lord's Supper. And then he moves to the order of worship. He says, look, the way that you're practicing the spiritual gifts here is making things ununderstandable to those people that are coming in and it's just disorderly and that's not the way of our God. And so he's speaking into all of this and he says, look, all of this, all this work of the Lord, this is all the work of the Lord, all this idea of you, like living a pure life, the way that you're thinking about applying the Christian principles to this life in your work, in your home, in your, uh, the places that you go and practice recreation, like all these spheres of your life, it matters. And it matters because Jesus is alive. So here's what we need to understand, all right? Paul's functioning from a different viewpoint on what heaven is than what a lot of us deal with in our minds about what heaven is, all right? For a lot of us, heaven is where we go to be with Jesus, right? What Paul and the rest of the New Testament is functioning with is that that is just this intermediate state, when, death, when we do die, when we fall asleep, and Paul's not trying to avoid the term there, he's just speaking to truth of death of what it really is for us now because it doesn't have the final say. It's just a, a short temporal rest. We'll be waked up. Our soul and body will meet back together again. And that's the function that Paul, as well as the rest of the Christians, are functioning. It's not that we escape this world to go be with Jesus, but that Jesus, and when, we, when he comes, we'll come back with him, that heaven and earth, earth, body, and spirit will be met here and will live physically present with God in a redeemed world. That's the idea that Paul is functioning with. And so it's out of that that you get this idea in like Romans chapter 8 that when sin entered to, into this world, it didn't just affect us. It didn't just affect our relationship with God. It, affect, it affected everything. And so what it says in Romans chapter 8 is that creation is actually groaning for when we will experience bodily resurrection because it's at that moment that it too will receive restoration. So here's what it says in verse 21. Creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom, look, of God's children. What is happening here, Paul is saying, look, when we put on the resurrected body, then all of creation will experience restoration as well. That's the view of eternity that's happening here. And so look, just so that you're not thinking I'm crazy, consistently as I was reading this past week, pastors and Bible teachers, they take this idea of the restoration or the consummation of all new things, that this is to mean that all things will encounter a resurrection, including your work. Right? So here's a few different quotes so you know that I'm not crazy. Randy Alcorn on his book on heaven says, not only our bodies, but our service for Christ will be resurrected. Bruce Milne, here's what he says. This is a little bit longer, 
but I think it's very holistic. So understand what he's saying here. Every kingdom work, whether publicly performed or privately endeavored, partakes of the kingdom's imperishable character. Meaning, whatever you do in public and even the things that you're trying to do in private, all these things are going to matter in the eternal spectrum of what God is doing in this world. Every honest intention, every stumbling word of witness, every resistance of temptation, every motion of repentance, every gesture of concern, every routine engagement, every motion of worship, every struggle towards obedience, every mumbled prayer, everything, literally, which flows out of our faith relationship with the ever-living one will find its place in the ever-living heavenly order which will dawn at his coming. Everything that we do in walking and living in this life with Jesus will be perfected. It will experience like this resurrection. I don't, I don't have like this perfect image. There's a, a pastor that put it like this. The way that we're working in this world is we're trying to place signposts to this kingdom that's to come. We're not trying to give photographs of what's going to be, right? We're trying to help people see that there is this other kingdom that's entered into this world. We're not trying to say with the work that we do here that this is the final realization of it, but we do believe that the work that we does here matters. It matters because Jesus is alive, because the resurrection truly happened, because Jesus is alive and you have experienced an internal resurrection right now that you get to walk and live with Jesus in this world, it means what you do matters. So it's not a just kick your feet up and relax and wait till Jesus comes back again. No, he's like, hey, no, live into this life that Jesus has won for you here now. And then look, the work that you're doing and walking with this Jesus, putting your sin to death, reconciling broken relationships in this world, putting your effort into your work and trying to make something beautiful of it, the work that you're trying to do to eradicate justice, injustice out of this world, all of these things, writing songs, like this idea that we have incredible musicians that are in this room right now, the idea that you could be writing songs and music that God will redeem and resurrect when Jesus comes back again. We may sing those songs in eternity to that Jesus when he's made them perfect. Like all this idea, it makes your life matter. Do you get that? And that's what Jesus is telling us when he says, be steadfast, be immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It means that this life here and now that you are living matters. It matters. So look, here's some questions for you to consider, all right? Here's questions for you to consider in the idea of living in light of the resurrection that Jesus is alive and that this life matters. Here's what I want you to consider. What sin do I need to confront in my life? What sin do I need to confront? Look, what you need to say to yourself is my purity actually matters. My purity matters. Walking with Jesus in this life, it matters. Second question, what relationship do I need to repair? Look, 
the idea of this resurrection and that this life truly matters, it means that the relationships that we form here in this world will carry over into eternity. And so where do I have brokenness that I need to step in? The power of reconciliation that's in work inside of me as a new creation. Where do I need to go join God in this work of reconciliation that he's doing in this world, particularly in my relationships? Who needs to hear the gospel? Paul says at the end of that verse 34 that some people aren't even aware of who God is to their shame. Who needs to hear this good news? One of my favorite pastors, Tim Keller, puts it like this. You may be the one person God intends to use to lead someone to Christ here in this life. There's no, it's no happenstance that you live where you do, that you have the neighbors that you have, that you share the co-working space with the people that you do at your work. All of these things, we believe in the providence of God and that there is no happenstance in this life, which means that it affects who we think about sharing the good news of Jesus with. Who do I need to share the gospel with? Fourth, what need must be addressed? What are the needs that are happening around me? This means that the brokenness that is experienced in this world, we as Christians, we step in, all right? So, in, uh, in Louisville, I experienced a, a ministry called Scarlet Hope. It's this ministry that would go, these women would go in um, to places of the sex industry and they would minister to these women and they would share the love of Jesus with them and they would create opportunities for them to exit out of this in light of a new relationship with Jesus and then have another sustainable way of income to provide for them that gets them out of the wickedness of that industry. Started by a woman who loves Jesus and wants people to experience the power of the resurrection. You have another pastor who he started this uh, whole movement called the End It Movement where he's trying to push forward and make awareness to this idea of sex trafficking that's happening in society. And so he's trying to step in, raise support, raise awareness and help the church learn what it looks like to step in and try to eradicate this evil in this world. What this means, because this life matters, this kind of work matters too. And so we step in because we believe in the hope of the resurrection. Last question, where do we need to cultivate beauty? Look, some of you, this isn't me, (laughs) all right, but some of you, man, like there is a lyric, there is a poem, there is a picture, there is a canvas that God has given you a vision, that God has given you a, a lyric, a word that needs to be put down pen to paper. And you need to live into the beauty that is in this life because look, this life matters. And the beauty of the resurrection and what the hope of this passage, what, this, what these other pastors, Bible teachers are putting before us is that the hope of this resurrection, that even our, the things that we do in this life will experience some form of a resurrection. It matters, and so we step into it. Continue to cultivate beauty. What is that for you? What do you need to do? Look, because Jesus is alive, this life matters, and so we need to consider what we do with it, all right? So let's, let's land the plane. Let's close it out, all right? 1 Corinthians 15, 
We're closing the chapter out, the most extensive look that happens at the resurrection. So look, here's like two hopes that I had when we started the series. I hope that you've experienced it in your soul in some form or fashion, all right? One is that your hope would become rooted. So we looked at 1 Corinthians 15. It opens with this idea that Paul talks about how the resurrection of Jesus truly, really happened. It's rooted in human history. And then he moves from there to say, look, your faith's not in vain. So when the storms of this life hit, times get really hard and challenging. It causes you to question the things of what we believe in the gospel that Jesus is alive and that there is salvation in him, that we have nowhere else to look. When those waves come at us and it causes us to question, my hope is that you would be rooted in this truth of the reality of the resurrection, that you can come back to 1 Corinthians 15 and be reminded of the reality that Jesus is alive. And then secondly, my hope is that you've experienced like a stir in your imagination. We have a lot of concepts about what this heaven is, what bodily resurrection will be like, what living with God in eternity will truly, the experience will be. I, I hope and I pray that you have seen that you have this incredibly bright future, that you're going to dwell with God, that you're going to have a bodily resurrection. Jesus is the one that's going to give you that new body, that it is indescribable, that it is perfect, that it's glorious, that it's powerful, that it will be fully empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit as you live with God, that um, Christ will share his victory over death with you. And that means that like, look, this transforms everything about the way that you live here in this world. And then the experience of the life to come, my, my desire is that your hope has been anchored and rooted in the truth of the reality that Christ is alive and secondly, that he's coming back for you and the world and the eternity and the future that you have before you is simply amazing. That's my hope. And it's worth at least the five weeks that we spent on it and it's worth the rest of our eternity dwelling on the goodness and the kindness that Jesus has shown to us. So let's live into this rootedness and this imagination of what we get to, the life that we get to have with the living God, both now and forevermore. Amen? Let's pray.